You're listening to the weekly teaching podcast of Willamette Christian Church in Westland, Oregon. We hope that what you hear today inspires you to laugh, question, think, and grow. If you'd like to connect with us even further, hit us up online at willamette.cc or shoot us a direct message on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome. I'm so excited to be here. My name is Megan Lemons. I am the pastor of Home Communities and Rooted here at Willamette. And I'm super excited because we are kicking off the Christmas series, you guys. And it is snowing outside and everything is right in the world, okay? Uh, You know, some people call me the Christmas queen. Uh, As evidenced by this photo that we have here, you see, I... Love Christmas. I have a December birthday, and before I moved to Oregon, every year for my birthday, I would have an ugly Christmas sweater roller rink birthday extravaganza, and this was one of my outfits. Some people call me the captain of Christmas. Uh, Whatever Christmas title you want to give me, I will take it, because I love, love, love Christmas. I love Christmas for a lot of reasons. Uh, One of the reasons is people just seem to be nicer around this time of year. There are, there are uh, peppermint mochas around this time of year. The music is so much fun during this time of year. We could, we could take down this picture here. The, the music is, like, you don't need to see it anymore. Uh, the music is so much fun during this time of year. My favorite Christmas album is CeeLo Green's Christmas album, okay? It's the best. My favorite Christmas song is this Christmas. Christmas. I just love the Christmas season. I I love the lights because they just kind of cast this this lovely glow over everything that is especially needed during these kind of dark winter days. One of the things that I really love about Christmas and have always loved about Christmas is is all the activities that we get to participate in during the holiday season. Now, I know that as adults, we can kind of get all like humbug about our schedules being overcrowded during the holidays, and I am one of those grumpy people sometimes as well. But when we really pause to think about it, Christmas is this beautiful season where it brings people together in community to to share in traditions, to share in the traditions of of singing carols or, or decorating trees or going to different Christmas concerts. In fact, I think so fondly of Christmas because I think about when I was a little girl. Both my parents worked a lot when I was a kid, and they would often work opposite schedules. So as a family, we weren't all together in the house at the same time very often, but Christmas was always different. During Christmas, we would spend days together decorating the house, putting up the decorations that my parents had collected over the years, gently and delicately putting up my dad's collections of Santas from the round of the world, and very gently putting up the nativity scene that had been broken and glued together countless times over the years. We would gather together as my mom would make these sugar cookies that instead of icing, she would make this like edible paint stuff and we would paint
paint our cookies. And then the day before Christmas, on Christmas Eve, every TV in the house would be playing a Christmas story because it's on for 24 hours on TBN. And we would go and we would wrap our gifts for one another. And we would end the evening all gathered together around the Christmas tree and we would read the Christmas story. Now, I didn't grow up a Christian, and so to me, reading the Christmas story was reading the Twas the Night Before Christmas poem. But we would gather together around the tree under the glow of the lights, and we would read together, and then we would go to sleep. And we would wake up bright and early. And I mean early, like 3 a.m., 4 a.m. early, because your girl likes gifts, okay? So we would wake up early, and then we would find ourselves again, gathered around the Christmas tree, sharing in each other's joy. Now, as I have come to know Jesus, my understanding of Christmas has, of course, shifted and changed a bit. But one thing that has remained constant is the way that Christmas gathers people together from all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of cultures and all kinds of stages of life to be gathered together to share in peace and to share in joy. See, the story of Christmas, the story of Jesus being born, of entering the world, of drawing near to us is the greatest story ever told. The story of a God who would come near to humanity in order to redeem and restore and forgive and set free and draw all people to himself so that we could gather together. And not just gather together under the glow of a Christmas tree, but so that we could gather together for a greater purpose, for the purpose of worshiping Jesus and partnering with the restorative work that God wants to do in the whole world. And Christmas and the Christmas story in scripture shows us how God is inviting us to gather together from our unique context, from our unique culture, from our unique stage of life to come and adore him, to be moved to action, to participate in the work that God is doing in the world, to share in the greatest hope. We've titled this series, as you can see, Adore. And adoration is not one of those words that we use a whole lot anymore, but we all kind of understand it, right? Adore simply means this. It means to love and respect deeply or to worship. We adore all kinds of things. That is, we love and respect deeply all kinds of things. There, and the things that we adore are the things that we value, right? whether it's popularity or, or relationships or status or success or people or money, we all have things that we adore. Uh, whatever it is that we value or cherish or love, we will find ourselves kind of instinctively moving towards those things. We kind of begin to take on the characteristics of the things that we love and the things that we adore. And so the invitation at Christmas is for us to come and to adore Jesus, the one who would come to restore all things and to restore all the world, to set all things at peace. 
The Christmas story is a story of God who would come near to humanity to save us, to forgive us, to set us free, and to partner with him in the work that he is doing to restore all of the earth. And so this Christmas season, in our Adore series, we're going to be looking at several different perspectives from the Christmas story. Different people who came from different cultures and customs and backgrounds, but were all invited to participate in the work that God was doing to make all things right in the world. We're going to look at the Magi, we're going to look at the shepherds, we're going to look at Mary, and of course, we're going to look at Jesus. But today, we're going to kind of take this larger Christmas story and we're going to zoom in. We're going to zoom in on the wise men, otherwise known as the Magi, found in Matthew chapter 2. See, the Magi, they are an unlikely group of people that come from an unlikely place. But they show us a couple of things. They show us that that our participation in the work that God is doing begins with being with Jesus. It continues as we worship Jesus. And it continues even farther forward as we follow after God. And so by the time we get to Matthew chapter two, this is kind of what has happened in the Christmas story so far, because Matthew chapter two isn't actually the very beginning of the Christmas story. So spoiler alert, Jesus has already been born by this time. All right, so Jesus has been born. Mary and Joseph have traveled to Bethlehem for a census while Mary is pregnant with Jesus. And there is no room for them in the inn as she goes into labor. So they wind up at a stable and she gives birth there. Then shepherds come. They proclaim who Jesus is, and then some time passes, and we wind up in Matthew chapter 2. Okay, so let's read the passage together. It says this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. So he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And then they quote an Old Testament passage of scripture and they say, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem, and it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, though, they returned to their own country by another route because God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. 
Okay, so there's a lot going on here, and what is actually going on here, you know what I mean? So let me explain, because depending on your church background, or depending on what type of like glued together nativity set you had like me, you might be thinking that when you think about the Christmas story, that everyone's all there at the same time. We have Mary and Joseph and Jesus and the, and the animals, and we have the shepherds, and we have the wise men, and they're all there together, but that's actually not the case. Uh, The scripture tells us that these magi came from the east during the reign of King Herod, setting the Jesus story in time. And scholars believe that, that, that as the narrative continues and some from context clues that they're picking up is that the magi coming to find Jesus, coming to worship Jesus, happened anywhere between two months to two years after Jesus has been born. So a significant amount of time has passed. So who are these magi? Well, history tells us that the magi were religious leaders in their own religious courts. The the magi brought a perspective from the east. They were likely followers of a religion called Zoroastrianism, which was a religion that at the time pulled together things like astrology and wisdom and even magic. And these are the first folks to come and worship Jesus, magicians and astrologers. This is quite an unlikely bunch. And they're looking for the king of the Jews and they arrived to Jerusalem to find Herod, who is, I guess, technically, at the time, the king of the Jews. But he's not who they were looking for. They were looking for a different kind of king. See, a rumor had reached them out in Persia that there was going to be a king that would come from this area that would come to bring a rule of lasting peace in the land. And searching for a king who would bring peace to the land would have been particularly alluring for these magi because according to kind of the time in history, these magi had probably already been living through a decades-long war between Rome and Persia. So they were looking for somebody, for something that would finally lead and bring peace to their life. And when they found that king, they knew that they were going to come and worship him. Well, Herod, Herod, who is the current king, has been placed as a sort of puppet king by Rome over the people. And as he finds out who the Magi are looking for, as they're looking for a new king, he is deeply disturbed. When we look at history, history would tell us that that Herod is a leader who was deeply paranoid. He was wildly ego-driven, and he was unsatiably power-hungry. At one point, he killed one of his wives and two of his sons because he thought they were vying for his throne. So when he hears that a new king has come onto the scene, of course, he gets a little bit unsettled, and of course, everyone else around him gets unsettled too. His paranoia probably started to set in. His ego was likely taking a hit as these men were telling the current king that a newborn king was coming. 
So Herod goes and he gathers together all of his folks, his religious council, and in that conversation, it's revealed who Jesus is or who this king is, which is the Messiah, and where the king is at, which is Bethlehem. And so Herod kind of sneaks off and he goes to talk to the wise men, and, and he, he kind of puts on his best act. He puts on his best show. Remember, Herod is a guy that has absolutely no chill. Like he is a wild man, but his, his ego is, is taking a bruise. His power is in jeopardy. So he puts on his best show. He goes to the Magi and he's like, hey, I'm excited about the king too. So if you could just go to Bethlehem, tell me if he's actually there, and then I will go and worship him as well. Us as the readers, we are not fooled by his foolishness. But maybe the Magi were, we don't know. But they go, and luckily by divine intervention, they wind up going home a different way, defying Herod's instructions and avoiding Herod trying to stop, put a stop to the story. So the Magi go, they find Jesus, they bow down and worship him, they offer him gifts, the, the gifts they have of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and we know what gold is, and maybe because of the, the hype of doTERRA and Young Living Essential Oils, right, we know what frankincense and myrrh are now, but nonetheless, the Magi are this unlikely group of men, a group of astrologers, a group of magicians, but they were the ones, the first ones, to come and to worship Jesus. They were the ones that God led to Jesus and continued to lead them as they went back home by another route. So what in the world does this story actually have to teach us? How in the world can we apply this to our life? Well, there's so many directions that we can go, but do you remember how we said Christmas brings folks together from different perspectives and different backgrounds and invites them to participate in what God is doing? Well, in this story, we see several perspectives and several different ways that folks are participating in the work that God is doing. First, we see the cautionary tale, right, of Herod and his religious council. We see a rough perspective and a misguided participation of a king. See, Herod would have been kind of familiar to an extent with the scriptures. And then he had his religious council who would have interpreted the scriptures for him. But we also know that Herod is full of ego. He's coming from the perspective of a power-hungry king whose place in power is coming into jeopardy. So he's willing to lie, and he's willing to manipulate to get whatever it is that he wants and eliminate the threat to his throne. He's coming from the perspective of a power-hungry king who essentially participates in the story that God is unfolding by faking it. He fakes his desire to worship in order to manipulate the Magi into giving him the information that he wants. So you have Herod, but then in the same vein, you have this group of religious people. You have this religious council of Herod. And what's interesting about Herod's religious council is they were full of folks who had actually been waiting for Jesus, full of folks who had been waiting for the Messiah, waiting for someone, full of folks who believed in scriptures, who believed in the stories that a savior would come to bring about peace. But the council didn't join the Magi in going to look. They didn't join the Magi in going 
to worship. They stayed behind, either because maybe they were apathetic towards the good news, maybe they had a fear of Herod's backlash, or maybe they had a desire for proximity to power, but whatever the reason is, we know that they didn't do anything. We know that the information that they had about Jesus and about the scriptures didn't move them to action, but they sat back and they didn't really do anything. But we don't, luckily, just see kind of the misguided or apathetic participation and perspective of Herod and his council. We also, in this story, get the genuine perspective and the genuine curiosity of the Magi. See, the Magi are not apathetic towards the good news. And in the Magi, we see a group of people who were from another faith, a group of folks who were completely unfamiliar, a group of folks who would have been considered at that time outsiders because they were Gentile. It was the belief in that time, if you weren't Jewish, that the coming Messiah was not coming for you. That the coming Messiah was only coming for this specific group of people, and the Magi were not a part of that specific group of people. But God includes them in the story, showing us that since the very beginning of time, since the very beginning of the story, God has been trying to include everybody all along. In the Magi, we find a group of folks who actually didn't really even know scripture at all. They, they heard a rumor back in Persia, and they heard the interpretation of one single Old Testament passage. But once the scriptures were revealed to them, they believed. And they didn't just allow their belief to make them comfortable. They didn't just allow their belief in scripture to make them apathetic. They didn't allow their belief in scripture to allow them to cling to power and comfort and security, but they allowed their belief in scripture to draw them forward, to follow after who this king might be. They're not apathetic towards the news of a new king who would usher in a kingdom of peace like Herod and his council was. They heard these rumors of who Jesus was, of what Jesus was going to do, that he was going to bring peace to the land, and they were compelled. They were compelled to action. They were compelled to participate. They were compelled to move forward and to find Jesus, and when they found him, they adored him. They worshiped him. The Magi coming to find Jesus shows us that the message of Jesus is for all people. The Magi shows us that, that folks can come from all kinds of backgrounds and cultures and customs and perspectives and are invited into the unfolding story of God, are invited into the kingdom of God, and are invited into the community of God. The Magi coming to worship Jesus reminds us that our first act of participating in the work that God is doing isn't just us rolling up our sleeves and doing, doing, doing things for Jesus. In the coming weeks, we will talk about ways that we do, in fact, engage and do and act, but, but, but the Magi show us something a little bit different, that, that our participation in what, what God is doing isn't just in doing, but it's in being. Showing us that participation in what God is doing begins with believing and being with Jesus. 
and being and believing in Jesus. In the Magi, we see that participation isn't just doing more stuff, but it's in drawing near to who Jesus is. Being with Jesus, with with coming near to his presence, with allowing ourselves to take hold of the truth of what it means that Jesus came. Jesus' coming means that no matter who we are, we are invited into life change and transformation. We are invited for our lives to be whole and to be set free. We are invited into the peace that God has to offer us to restore all things. We are invited into a relationship with a God who doesn't stand far away from us, who doesn't turn away from us because of our past, but we are invited into relationship relationship of a God who draws near to us, who comes close to us, who is with us in our suffering, who knows what it is to suffer, who is with us when we are rejoicing, and who is with us in our grief. We are invited into our relationship with a God who has a mission and a vision to see all people, all the earth, all relationships restored, set right, and renewed. That is the work that God is inviting us to participate in, and that is the God that we worship. It's in believing that. It's in believing who Jesus is and what God came to do. It's in believing that, that our hearts are stirred, and we cannot help but raise our voices and lift our hands and worship the God who who would invite us in, the God who would come close to us the God who would know our pain and our grief and our suffering and be with us in it and would know our joys and celebrate with us in that too. Now, did the Magi understand all of that (laughs) when they came to worship Jesus? Probably not. (laughs) But the scripture does tell us that they knew that he was the Messiah. And kind of the rumors and the beliefs in that time was that the Messiah would come to bring about peace. So they knew even just a little bit of who Jesus was. And knowing who Jesus was, that he was one who would come to bring about peace, they let the truth of who Jesus was well up inside of them, and they drew near to him. And their first response was to worship. Their first response was to adore reminding us that that we participate in what God is doing through worshiping him. We participate in what God is doing through worshiping him. When it comes to the Christmas story and our invitation to participate in what God is doing in the world, it starts with being with Jesus. It starts with believing in Jesus, believing that Jesus is the one true king who would bring about his kingdom of peace and restoration. And because of that, we worship him. Because of who he is, we worship him. We lift our hands in praise. We lift our voices. We engage our bodies in an act of praise for a God who is worthy, for a God who is good, for a God who has done great things for a God who has come near. And as we draw near to him, we will find ourselves by the power of the Holy Spirit being transformed to be more like him. 
One author says it this way. Her name is Adele Calhoun. And she says, everyone worships something. One's ultimate devotion can rest in money, success, a person, a creed, a cause, and so forth. But ultimately, what we are devoted to will shape our lives. What we are devoted to will shape our lives. She kind of goes on to say that, that resting our devotion in things like money or, or success or, or uh, those things and worshiping those things, those are secondary things. Those are things that promise fulfillment but don't deliver. Only Jesus and a relationship with Jesus can satisfy the longings of our hearts. So when we turn our worship and our devotion and our adoration towards Jesus, if we allow ourselves to be devoted to him, it will be Jesus and his ways that shape our whole lives. As we devote ourselves to God and worship, we allow our hearts and our entire selves to be formed by him. She finishes the quote in saying this, worship puts us in a place to be receptive and responsive to the Holy Spirit's movements and invitations. So what exactly does worship and adoration do? Well, worship and adoration does this. First, it allows us to draw near to the presence of God. It allows us to draw near to Jesus just as the Magi drew near to Jesus. Here's the thing. The presence of God is always with us, but we are not always attuned to it. Worship is one of the ways that we attune ourselves to the presence of God with us. Worship is one of the ways that we can rest our minds, our hearts, and our physical bodies in the ever-sustaining presence of God with us. When we gather together here on Sundays to worship, we gather together and we rest our minds and our hearts and our bodies, and we are reminded of the ever-sustaining presence of God with us. The next thing worship and adoration does is worship and adoration comes from the overflow of our hearts set on him, of hearts set on who Jesus is. See, when we come to realize who Jesus is, we will worship. We will become worshipers. The Magi recognized Jesus to be the one who would bring about peace in all of the earth, and their response was to worship him. So they praised him. Uh, the passage said that they saw the star and they came to worship Jesus because they knew even if just a little, even if just a glimmer, even, in, even if just in part, they knew who Jesus was. And I wonder for you today, who is Jesus to you? Is he the one who forgives the one who sets free. He's the one who sets us on a healing journey in order for us to restore and to recover our lives, praise God. He's the one who restores all things. He's the one who restores broken relationships. He's the one who restores the earth. He's the one who restores our hearts and sets us free. And when we allow our hearts to think about that, when we allow our bodies to realize that, 
to realize that God is the one who comes to restore, to redeem, to forgive, and to set free our hearts are welled up in worship. And we must lift our hands and we must sing to tell about his goodness, to tell about his faithfulness, to tell about his justice. Our hearts well up with gratitude when we know who Jesus is. Third thing, worship shapes our lives to become more like Jesus. It shapes our lives to become more like Jesus. Calhoun said that what we are devoted to shapes our lives. If we allow ourselves to, to adore Jesus, to be devoted to him, he will be the one that shapes our life. We gravitate towards the things that we adore. And worship allows us spaces to gravitate our hearts towards the presence of God with us and towards the character of who Jesus is in worshiping him, be it through, through prayer or through music or through, through community or through engagement in scripture. As we begin to adore Jesus, as we begin to engage with who he is, we will find ourselves over time and by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, that we are becoming more and more like him. That we are being formed in the ways of his peace and in the ways of his justice. And the last thing, worship allows us to respond to the Holy Spirit. Worship allows us to respond to the Holy Spirit. When we come to God in worship, when we give ourselves over to him, when we place ourselves in a posture of being responsive and receptive to the Holy Spirit, we will find that the Holy Spirit wants to work in us, but not just in us, that the Holy Spirit wants to work through us. When we worship, again, be it through, through song or, or prayer or engagement with scripture, we will find ourselves in a place where we are making space to slow down to pause, to listen to what God might be actually trying to tell us, how he might be inviting us to serve and to love others, who he might be inviting us to forgive, where he might be inviting us to go. And that's exactly what worship did for the Magi. They were attuned to what God was saying. They were attuned to where God was moving. They were attuned to what God was doing. The Holy Spirit caught their attention and they listened and they went. From the very start to the very end of the story, if we look at the Magi, they trusted the leading of God and they did what God asked them to do. They trusted and they followed the star to Jerusalem. They, they trusted as they heard the interpretation of scripture from the religious council, and they trusted as they went. Remember verse 12, it says, when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. 
From the start to the finish of the story, the Magi allowed themselves to be led by God, trusting where God was leading them, that God was leading them towards Jesus and away from Herod, reminding us this Christmas that that as we, our participation in what God is doing happens by us listening to his voice and by trusting where he's leading. Participation in what God is doing happens by listening to his voice and trusting where he is leading. We begin to listen to his voice when we are spending time, when we are making space in our lives to spend time with Jesus and to engage in worship. I wonder this holiday season, there's a couple of questions that I would love for you to kind of consider this week. And the first question is this. What are you adoring? What are you devoting yourself to? There's so many things that are vying for our time and for our attention, but the invitation this holiday season is to gather together in community just as the Magi did and worship Jesus. We are invited to participate in the work that God is doing in the world by listening to his voice and trusting where he is leading us. For the Magi that was leading them towards Jesus and away from Herod. Herod, who would try to disrupt the whole story, who would try to stop the story of God unfolding in the world. As the Magi followed the leading of God, they participated in this unfolding story of God as he worked, as he is working rather, to restore all things. And I wonder, this Christmas... The last question is, where is God leading you? The first Christmas, God was leading the Magi towards Jesus. Maybe for you, you find yourself here at church, but far from God. Maybe this Christmas, Jesus is leading you for the first time, or leading you for the first time in a long time to himself. So that you could know his forgiveness, that you could know his love for you, that you could know that he wants to restore your whole life. But maybe you're already following Jesus, but the question is still the same for you. Where is God leading you? Because God led the Magi towards Jesus, but he didn't stop there. He continued to lead them forward. So where is God leading you forward? Where is God guiding you towards? Who is God guiding you towards? Is God guiding you towards serving or towards giving or towards loving or, for, or towards forgiving someone? Are there things in your life that are trying to pull you away from the hope of Jesus? Are there kind of these Herod things in your life that would try to stop the story of God unfolding for you. I encourage you this week to pause, to pray, to become attuned to the presence of God as you reflect on these questions and as you maybe allow yourself to be led by God in this holiday season. This Christmas season, we're invited to gather. We're invited to gather together, not simply to gather together around the light of a Christmas tree, but we are invited to gather together and worship. 
to gather together around Jesus, the Savior, the one who would come to restore all things, all the earth, all people, the one who would come to set us free. And we are invited. We are invited to gather from our unique culture and perspective and background and stage of life to participate in the work that God is doing. And that first starts by being with Jesus. It continues by worshiping Jesus and it moves forward as we follow the leading of God and goes where he asks us to go and do what he asks us to do. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you did come, that you do come near to us. God, I pray that, that we would remember who you are. God, that in remembering who you are and remembering your goodness and remembering your grace, Lord, that we would worship that we would praise you, that we would thank you. God, I thank you for the opportunity to gather together around you, to remember your love towards us. God, I pray that as this holiday season, as we are invited to participate in your larger work of restoration, that you would show us how you want us to jump into that work, be it just being with you, worshiping you, serving you, finding someone that we need to forgive, forgiving ourselves. Lord, would you guide us and would you lead us this holiday season? It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. We're gonna continue our service in a time of communion and on your way in, you got the, the cup and the bread here. But you know, we have been talking about how God invites us to participate in what he's doing by worshiping him but we worship him because he's worthy. We worship him because he came and he died for us so that we could be free. And communion is a time in our service where we remember just that. And we listen to Jesus and we do what he asks us to do. Because in the scriptures as Jesus, before he went to go give his life, he gathered with his friends and they shared a meal together. And during that meal, he broke and passed the bread. And he said, this bread is representative of my body that would be broken for you. And then he passed the cup and he said, this cup is representative of my blood that would be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And when you gather together, take this to remember me. And so my hope this morning is in the next few moments as you take communion, that you would remember Jesus, that you would remember what he's done. And out of that remembering, that your heart would be stirred and that praise would well up inside of you and that you would join us as we worship Jesus together this morning. <laughs>